Ephesians chapter 6. Go to the 10th verse and let's hold there for just a moment. The 10th verse, it says this. It says, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that ye may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand. My heart this morning is deeply burdened as your pastor. It's burdened for my church family in a way that I've never been able to describe or never have I felt this burden before. In the past few months, God has really given me a heart and a love for you dear people that I didn't know I was able to possess. A holy transaction of love between God and a pastor. Between God and His people. I'm thankful for that. I truly am. And as your under-shepherd this morning, I want to remind you of my job, my duty. It's my duty to keep watch over the flock. To look over the flock and to protect the flock. It's my duty to point to danger, to educate, to warn, to teach, and to preach the Word of God without fear and without favor. And as I look out today, I must come to a place where I offer a warning where I educate and love and I tell you plainly that there is an adversary who is working, who is operating, and in many cases being successful to kill, to steal, and to destroy. Understand the perspective of where we are in time in light of eternity. I believe with all of my heart that this thing is just about over. The trumpet is being polished. The archangel is licking his lips and he is preparing for the nod from the Father for the Son to come and retrieve his betrothed. Only the Father knows that day and time. But through the teaching of the Word of God, through the evidence of what we are seeing in our world on a daily basis, the convergence of signs and wonders that God is showing us each and every day plainly from Scripture, all these things that are taking place in a post-1948 world, I believe with all of my heart that the Lord could come back before I'm done preaching this sermon. And my heart and my prayer would be that He would. I'm ready. I long for that day. The remnant of God is being prepared. You see, just because we feel the expectation of His soon return does not mean that we simply stop being who God's called us to be. It doesn't give us a free pass to put down the hammer and to put down our work shoes. It gives us calls to work harder, to be as faithful as possible. And since I've become your pastor, I felt my heart that God has really taken us back to boot camp, if you will. 
He's asked us to go deeper. He's asked us to prepare. He's asked us to commit. He's even asked us to examine our faith to be sure that we are in the faith. We've not been in a season of relaxation. There's not been a season of easy living nor easy preaching. Rather, I believe that God is getting Trinity Baptist Church ready for the next step, the next level, and what He requires of us until He comes. And my heart this week has been through the fire, it's been through trial, it's been through testing, and that's been the case here of late. There have been some hard conversations with God, and I come today in love, and behind the cross, I will plead with you with great urgency. I'm going to pray, we'll ask the Lord to add His blessing, and then we'll look at the Word of God together. Heavenly Father God, we come into Your presence again. God is a hungry people who need guidance, who need leadership. And Father, I come today to this pulpit that belongs to You to preach as a dying man to dying men. And Lord, I need You today. I'm desperate for Your leadership. I'm desperate for Your Spirit to do what only it can do. Add Your blessing to the reading of Your Word. Add Your blessing to the preaching of the text. And Lord, we'll stay out of the way. We'll be obedient instantly to what You've put in our heart. And we'll follow you without fear and without favor. Bless our church family. Be with them. Comfort those that cannot be in the service today. Bring peace to the hearts who are turbulent. And through the word of God, encourage us, strengthen us as we prepare for what God has for our church family. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. I want to take you back to that 12th verse. And if you have listened to your pastor emeritus, Dr. Ralph Sexton, preach at all. You have heard him preach this verse many a time. If you have heard me preach in the last three or four years, you have heard me preach this verse many a time. But I want us to go back to the 12th verse of the 6th chapter here of Ephesians, and I want to point out something to you. We've tried a few times to make this a point, but I really feel it's where the Lord wants us to launch from today. And it's one word, and it's one word that you must embrace today, and that word is wrestle. Wrestle. The Bible says, For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, powers, rulers of darkness of this world, and spiritual wickedness in high places. As we said a few Sundays ago, the point is this there is a wrestling to be done. There is a wrestling to be done. There is a war, there is a fight, it is a struggle. The Bible tells you it's not against other people. It's not against someone who doesn't do church the way you do church. You don't wrestle against people who vote differently than what you want to vote. You don't wrestle against people who are open in their sin and in their lifestyle. They are not the enemy. But we do wrestle with someone. The Bible gives us who it is we wrestle. 1 Peter 5.8, it says this, Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil, as a roaring lion walketh about, Seeking whom he may devour. He will never ask permission to devour. It is the desire, it is the plan, it is the will of Satan to damn and to destroy as many people as he possibly can. This word wrestle, I want us to understand it very clearly. I want us to understand who the enemy is today. The word there, wrestle, in the Greek is pele. It's pele. It's a term used to describe hand-to-hand combat. Wrestling features trickery. It features deception. 
And this is how Satan and his hosts fight. They fight with trickery. They fight with deception. He is the father of lies. It's his way. It's how he wrestles. These four designations that we talked about, the principalities, the powers, the rulers of darkness, uh, the spiritual wickedness in high places, these four strata, these four levels of government, it describes the way that this evil supernatural empire really works. You read in the Bible where God gives Satan the designation, the God of this world, little g-o-d. Satan has control. He has power. He influences the cosmos each and every day. Everything that humanity is, Satan has his fingerprints in all of those things. Save someone being saved gloriously by the light of the gospel of Jesus Christ. The default mode for human beings born is that of a fallen person with a fallen nature. And they're waiting for them to cultivate that fallen nature is Satan and his four designations of government. You see, Satan's forces are well organized. They're highly structured. And their plan and their battle since the fall has been destructive purposes without stop. It's been relentless on man. The spiritual wickedness in high places, I think, is something that we are seeing at a level that we have not seen possibly since the fall of the Roman Empire. But this refers to the most depraved abominations of mankind. This is the ultimate depravity of mankind on display. These are things such as extreme sexual perversions, occultism, and Satan worship. And I don't have to take time to take the headlines of the day and show you just how far we've gone. But this is what we're fighting. This is what we're wrestling. And the Bible says you're doing it hand to hand. 2 Corinthians 10, go to the third verse. It'll be on your screen. It says, For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. Are not carnal but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. If they're not carnal, then what are they? Then they're spiritual. The battle is a spiritual battle. In other words, it does not matter how much ammo you stockpile or how many M16s you have possession of, the battle that you need to fight as a Christian, as a Bible believer, cannot be won with bullets and hand grenades, nor tanks, nor laser-guided missiles. It can only be won by prayer, supplication to God, submitting yourself to God, resisting the devil, and then he will flee from you. It's a spiritual war. It's a spiritual battle. And church, with all the love in my heart, very carefully I say this, do not mince my words, hear me carefully and cautiously this morning, this is war. This is war. What you are experiencing today is not a social club at the country club on the golf course. This is a battle plan of Christians who love God, who love each other, and who are called to be salt and light until He comes. Welcome to the war room. Welcome to the battle planning session of life. This is a battle. This is a struggle. This is a fight and it happens each and every day. And what I must point to is that the war is being fought and on many fronts we are losing the battle. The church is losing the battle. The enemy has made great 
advances. Yes, be reminded that in the end, we know what the end result is. We win the war. Everybody in this room say amen. Amen. We win the war. Victory is handed to us. Jesus Christ comes. He conquers. Satan will come to his demise. There will be a final judgment. But we were given a task and a job and a responsibility to wrestle something until he comes. Until he calls us home. There's a battle afoot. There's a war afoot. And the church is losing the battle. Not because Christ has lost power or Christ has lost influence or Christ's words have become somehow in of, of an effect or irrelevant. No, it's on us. It's our problem. It's our fault. It's why we're losing so many battles. We were given a task. We were given strict orders. Jesus Himself gave them to us. This is not from some madman. This is not from some preacher or from some denomination. These words came from the mouth of Jesus Himself. It were things like go and preach and teach, be salt, be light. Pull them from the fire. Raise up your children. Train them. Be faithful to God. Be consistent in prayer. Thessalonians says pray without ceasing. Be consistent in a walk of holiness with God. Be consistent to possess the mind of Christ in all things. Put yourself below your brother. Do as unto others as you would have done to yourself. And then he said, if you love me, keep my commandments. Obey me. We've been given a charge, a task. We were also given a warning. 2 Corinthians chapter 2. Look at the 11th verse. The Apostle Paul could say more in just a few words than almost anybody in the Bible. He says, Lest Satan should get an advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his devices. The Apostle Paul knew exactly what this fight was, what this war was, and he fought it every day of his life in ways that you and I maybe will never even have to experience. But church, we examine our lives, our friends, our families, those that we're acquainted with, those that have sat in this room or in the building next door who are no longer here. We have to say that many have fallen to the devices of Satan. Satan has wrestled them to the ground and discouraged them and wounded them. And so many, in fact, I'm afraid we've become numb to it. And it may be that even in a post-COVID world where so many people have fallen away from consistency with God, a relationship with the church that's right and pure, I'm afraid we've just maybe come to expect it. Teenagers are losing their innocence and we don't even blink. Parents are contemplating divorce and we don't even weep. The battle-hardened, gray-headed saints of God aren't encouraged and they are alone and we show that we don't care because we refuse, refuse to encourage them or visit them. We've traded prayer for posting, holiness for hobbies, and our flame for God is cold, it's dead, and it's invisible. And if you were taken to a court of law and you were examined for your faith, would there be one shred of evidence other than your attendance sitting in this chair today that you belong to the King of kings and the Lord of lords? Many would not have such an accusation proven in court. 
Nationally, our country has been swallowed up by sexual perversion, sexual promiscuity, and it's prevalent in every aspect of our life. I said every aspect of our life has somehow been sexualized. You can't scroll Instagram without seeing someone in a compromising photo. It's all set as a trap. And where is the church? Where is its voice? Where is its standard? Where is its desire to live holy and clean before God? Unfortunately now, regularly now, Christians like to follow and share pictures and videos. Some even in their bikinis, their bottoms, and their bellies showing. And our eyes have been trained not to notice, not to care. It's just Instagram. It's just Facebook. Everybody's doing it. Go ahead. Post a picture of your innocent 14-year-old daughter so that the world can take its pleasure. Our generation has literally been sexualized and desensitized to a point that is destroying the mind of the next generation. Pornography is the one thing we can't talk about because everybody's dabbling. Pornography is the one thing that we shouldn't say in church because too many people might be offended. That is the job, that is the goal of the Word of God is to offend you and to call out your sin. We are the church of the living God. We've been given a task, we've been given a job. And the church just watches the world go by, dying and going to hell. No tears on our face, no burden, no prayer. And instead we laugh, we joke, we shrug. And the advantage of Satan that the Apostle Paul warned about has been taken. And with his advantage, the innocence of our children have been taken with it. We've allowed wicked people into power. Republicans and Democrats and Independents. We voted for devils or we've chosen not to vote for the lesser of two evils because we're too lazy or too unconcerned. The last election in what was known to be Christian evangelical strongholds, the church crowd as they put it. In many states and in many counties where we had the opportunity to vote to protect the rights to abort a baby. Instead of protecting the child... In voting against abortion, we voted to protect the right to murder in the womb. Could it be that there are too many immoral Christians who are sexually active and need to keep the tool of murder left available just in case their sin develops a heartbeat? Are there that many Christians who are living a lifestyle that their church family doesn't know about? that their wife doesn't know about, that their friends don't know about, that when we get in the poll, when we get into the booth, we have the opportunity to vote for righteousness sake, to vote to protect life. We've got to vote no because we've got to keep that available for our sin. We've got to have an insurance policy. You say that's too harsh. Go look at the votes. Go look at the votes. Our world is bloodthirsty for violence and war and aggression. It's fed to us every day. I'm not talking about Russia. I'm not talking about the Ukraine. You don't, need to, you don't need to point to them. Look in your own city. Fox News had this to say. The headline read this. Crime spike in North Carolina's cesspool 
of sin, end quote. Asheville, a city of approximately 90,000 people nestled in the Blue Ridge Mountains of Buncombe County, North Carolina, has seen a 31% surge in violent crime, the report said. Asheville's growth in violent crime is nearly double that of the national average and ranks among the highest in North Carolina, where violent crime has increased 13% statewide. Rates of homelessness in Asheville have increased 21% since 2021, according to data released in May. There's also evidence of increased Mexican drug cartel activity in the area, according to multiple law enforcement sources from multiple agencies who spoke to Fox News Digital. End of report. That's us. You don't have to look to Oakland. You don't have to look to New York City. That's your city. That's where this church is. Bloodthirsty for violence, war, and aggression. We say, well, pastor, we need better policing. It, it, it really it comes down to the police. It's their fault. No, you can't blame those officers that put their line on the, life on the line every day. Your city council voted to defund them by $700,000 for the sake of political correctness and foolishness. You say, well, we need better education. No, we told God, the supreme educator, to go away decades ago. Get out of our school. Get away from my children. We had it all under control. You say, well, we need more equality. When are you going to learn that only within the kingdom of God can you find harmony and equal rights? It's equal rights to the grace and the mercy that God provides for anyone who calls upon His name. There's no advantages for whites in God's kingdom. There's no disadvantages for blacks, Hispanics, Asians in God's kingdom. Red and yellow, black and white, they are precious in His sight. And it's the only place you will find equality. It's the only place you'll find something that's fair. If God was really fair, there would be no hope. You see, church, this mess we have created is at our own hand. It's at our own hand. The church cannot blame the world for being the world. The church has to take radical ownership of the condition of the city and the community around it and say, hey, that's our drug problem. Hey, that's our murder issue. Hey, that's our city council that's making those poor decisions. And what have we done? We've sat silent. We've said nothing. We've let our guard down. We've become soft. We've become afraid. And many are derelict in their duty to God, handing over yet another advantage to Satan. You see, consistency, boldness, authority is almost to a point where by the end of this generation, it will be completely dissolved. You can't be bold for Jesus at PTA and stand up for what's right for your children if you're in an inter inappropriate relationship online with someone that's not your spouse. It's hard to stand up for what's right when you're texting someone that's not your husband, when you're texting someone that's not your wife. It's hard to stand up for what's right. It's hard to stand up for Jesus when you've got a porn addiction that's crippling your spiritual man and you refuse to get help. You see, it's hard to share Jesus with a coworker, or a family member or a friend when you've cussed and laughed at all the filth that everyone else has. 
It's impossible to be salt and light when your belly is full of beer pulled up to the bar. Your salt is no longer salty and your light is drowned in your drunkenness. And you're of no use to the kingdom of God. So where we come to is a place of examination. You say, I don't like this preaching. This may be my last Sunday here. You take it up with the Lord. I'm just trying to be obedient to the best of my ability. According to the Word of God, we are to examine ourselves today and ask if there is conduct in our lives. Not your husband's, not your wife, not your friend, not your enemy. Ask God what's in your life that needs to change. You see, we are Christian soldiers. We've been drafted into the army of God. Matthew 5, 48 gives us our commission. Here you go, officer, in the Lord's army. Here's your commission. Be ye therefore perfect, even as your Father which in heaven is perfect. You say, I can't be perfect. That's the point. Stay close to Jesus. Cast yourself at Him. Beg Him for grace and mercy and make your list of sin short. You stay close to Him. Strive for perfection. 2 Corinthians 7.1 gives us yet another look into this. It says, Having therefore these promises, dearly beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit. Perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Perfecting holiness in the fear of God. You know why a lot of Christian people or so-called Christian people do not live a life that is holy? Because they do not fear God. They don't fear God. They have no idea who He is because they don't read His Word. They have no instruction from Him because they do not pray. And because of that they have no fear. So there is no pressure. There is no reminder to live holy before Him. 1 Thessalonians 4, 7 says, For God hath not called us unto uncleanliness, but unto holiness. Notice He said, Call us to uncleanliness. He hath not called us to uncleanliness. You would think the next words would be, But He has called us to cleanliness. No, He went a step above. Quit holding yourself to the world's standard. That's another issue, another problem we are plagued with. Well, I go to church. I'm here. I, 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 what more do you want of me? Everything. That's what Jesus wants of you. He's called you to live holy. 1 Peter 1, 15 and 16 I'm saturating you with these verses from the Word of God so you can know that the Word of God saying in and not Winston. It says, But as He which has called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation. That's everything about your life. Because it is written, Be ye holy, for I am holy. To be a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ, you must hold yourself to a standard that God requires. Because the truth is, Satan continues his campaign of taking advantage every day. Stay with me here and we'll get to where this lands. Satan doesn't stop. Can we all agree that Satan's work, his plan, his provision for mankind, that it never stops with he's always working 24 hours a day. As long as the internet is connected worldwide, Satan will be working and doing his damage. So then what happens if he's in a continual, constant state of working to damn, to deceive, to destroy? Then what happens to a community? What happens to a family when the Christians, the Bible believers, simply go home and roll over, play dead, stop praying, stop carrying a burden, and stop reading their Bible? What happens? 
Satan gets to play his game unchecked. And we show up to the field and forfeit. Satan is smart, church. He's calculated. And he has slithered into many homes. He never stops. He never quits. It's relentless. And I hate him. He is a rotten, low down belly dweller from hell. And he's a perfect fit to go back there. And one day he will. As I look out over the congregation, the calls, the texts, the emails just this week, where Satan is taken an advantage, where Satan has taken a home, where Satan has taken a teenager. Where Satan has taken a mom and a dad. Where Satan has taken alcohol just a little too far. Where one joint turned into a bigger problem. Where one ounce of heroin turned into a lifestyle change that robbed a life. It's constant. It never ends. If it wasn't for the grace and the mercy of God, no man could be able to stand in this pulpit. No one could ever be a called preacher. No one could ever be able to teach Sunday school or be a family member full of faith and full of the Holy Ghost. If it was not for the Lord who was on our side, we would be so lost. But today, it's my duty as under-shepherd and now as judge to investigate Satan and his horde. And today, as I call the court of the church into session, I find that rascal guilty of multiple charges. My intention this morning is not to put on a show. It's not to tickle ears. It is to remind you of the truth of God's word and the confidence and the authority given to you by Jesus himself that the gates of hell shall not prevail over the church. Charge number one against Satan. The infringement of territory that belongs to God. Our homes belong to God. And He gave them to us and entrusted us to lead them, to guide them, and to direct them. Our homes were established by God and they belong to God. And the enemy has no seat at the table in the homes of the families of Trinity Baptist Church. He has no business being there. He has no business with his influence. And he has no business to rob you of peace, joy, and happiness as a child of God. Infringement of territory. This court works differently. Sentencing comes immediately. Sentencing as follow for charge number one. We will be taking our homes back. I said we will be taking our homes back. Rotten devil. The way you do that is through the power of prayer. The power of the Word of God. Walking into your children's room and claiming a verse claiming a promise that God made you in the midnight hour, that He would save them, He would call them to preach, that He would keep them until they were married. The home belongs to the Christian father and the Christian mother and the church. It does not belong to the enemy. Take back over your home today. We will reclaim it. Charge number two. Acts of aggression and violence against the young. Acts of aggression and violence against the young. 
nine and ten years old. They're not supposed to be a combatant. They're supposed to be off limits. But that's not the war he's fighting. He is guilty of damning and deceiving and destroying the innocence of a child at even eight, nine, and ten years old. He's robbed so many homes of joy and peace and happiness and dreams. All because mommies and daddies let their guard down. Your children aren't target. Don't wait till they're 18 and go into college. It'll be too late. And he is guilty. He's guilty. The attack comes so young. (laughs) Moms and dads, this is not a fair fight. Know who your children are talking to. Know who your children are texting. In love, may I ask this question, what business does an 11-year-old or a 12-year-old have with a cell phone that's connected to the internet in their room? For the love of God, give them a fighting chance. And take back your home. Sentencing as follows to charge number two. I like justice that God gives. The families, friends, And members of Trinity Baptist Church will fast, pray, and save our hard-earned money. And in that light, we will build and we will furnish and we will occupy a multi-story educational facility with a library and a teaching center. And we will use every square inch to the Lord God Almighty's glory. And we will, we will be faithful. To teach and preach until he calls us home. This we will do by faith and not by sight. And we will do it for the glory of God. Charge number three. The killing and the capturing of members of our friends and families that should be here today in church with us, that should be clean and not know what alcohol tastes like or what a vein and a drug knows how it works, those that have been captured, those that have been killed, he's guilty. And this church, if it's the last thing we do, will no longer be neutral as it pertains to the workings of Satan in our community. We will fight for our marriages. We will fight for the souls of our families and for our friends that live in this community. Sentencing as follows for charge three. We will never stop preaching Jesus Christ. We will make disciples 
We will preach hope and truth and rejoice for every soul saved. We will shout for every prodigal that comes home and we will hold to that blessing. Rest assured, child of God, the ultimate sentencing, the ultimate punishment is coming. Jesus will cast him into hell forever and ever and ever and ever. And he will be tormented for what he did for your family. For every hair he ever touched on your head, he'll pay. And while the Lord tarries, this church must be about our Father's business. I said this church must be about our Father's business. Today, January the 15th, 2023, I hereby call Trinity Baptist Church into conference to vote for a joint resolution of the pastors and the membership. The proclamation reads as this. Whereas Satan and his imperial forces of evil have committed multiple acts of war against Almighty God, His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, the Holy Ghost, and His children, the living church. Therefore be it, resolved by the pastor, the staff, and the membership of Trinity Baptist Church, Asheville, North Carolina, United States of America, assembled here today, that a state of war between Almighty God, His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, the Holy Ghost, and His children, and the living church, and Satan, principalities, powers, the rulers of darkness of this world against spiritual wickedness in high places, is hereby formally declared. And whereas Almighty God has authorized the church via His Word and has directed the church to employ the Word of God, prayer, and the privileges set forth by God for His people at their full disposal to operate in this theater of war until final resolve is executed at the time Jesus Christ returns to earth for final judgment and establishment of an earthly kingdom where He will reign forever and ever and ever. Therefore be it known this day. That this congregation pledges our full resolve and resources to the effort until that day. The church is now in conference. All in favor of adopting the resolution and prosecuting the state of war between the aforementioned parties. Say aye. Aye. All opposed say no. Glory to God, the ayes have it. Let the church clerk bear record that the state of war exists. Praise the Lord. With you, brother. Praise the Lord. You can be seated. Now that a state of war has been declared, wrestling and spiritual hand-to-hand combat with sin and darkness, wickedness and evil can only be overcome by prayer and the Word of God. And this is your charge, this is your plan of attack. 
There is no cliche here. Rather, we are simply going to cling to three things. This is where I want to encourage you today. Let me say this. You do not have to be afraid. Let me say it again clearly. You do not have to be afraid. Because greater is He that is in me than he that is in the world. The three things that we will cling to. The promise that He would never leave us nor forsake us. The battle is His. We are the vessels. We are the instruments. The power is of Him and not of us. The promise that He would never leave us nor forsake us is one. Number two, the power is of Him and not of us. You don't have to figure this whole thing out. You do it day by day. Quit coming to this altar and saying, God, I'm going to pray more. God, I'm going to read more. God, I'm going to be more faithful. No, wake up tomorrow and say, God, give me the grace and the mercy to do today the right way. The power is of Him and not of us. And thirdly, the privilege, the privilege is to carry our burdens and our petitions straight to His ear. You can talk with the Creator of the heavens and the earth. But you've got to get in the fight. Now we need some volunteers. Spontaneously, some men have already approached the pulpit and they volunteered for service. Here's what I want to do. Young men, help me get those papers ready on both tables. There's a copy of this resolution, this declaration of war on the tables. And with it, I have signed it. I've signed the declaration of war. And I would ask you now prayerfully to consider your position in this church, your place in the kingdom of God, and what you want for your family, your friends, and your future. And if you'll join us in this fight, this effort to do all these things that God has placed in our heart, and would you take that declaration of war one for you, one for your wife, your children that are saved, and understand, I want them to sign it next to my name. I want them to come and place it right here in front of the cross that's here at the pulpit. And make the pledge today not to your pastor, not to Winston Parish, not to the Baptist church, but to God Himself that we will do what He's called us to do and be who He's called us to be until He relieves us of duty. And ask somebody to come to the piano and help us. Pastors, I'd like for you to lead the way. Deacons, I'd like for you to come. And the church family members that are ready and prepared, I'd like for you to come and bring your declaration of war and set it here on the floor in front of the cross. Once you've laid your piece of paper, I'd come to this old altar and I'd ask God to help you. Because only He can. May He add the blessing to the reading of His Word. Empower His people for the war that we're about to fight.